0: Hello and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And
1: I'm Shannon.
0: And we are your co-hosts. So this week I have the great honor of doing Yule Part 2, The History of Yule. Uh, Ooh, Ooh,
1: I I love Yule. Um, And I'm going to be talking about an herb that many of you might be mulling wine with as we speak star anise and i'm gonna be telling us the very very sad tale
0: of balder oh no well uh for everyone on the patreon welcome you can welcome en- enjoy us on video you can so see
1: willow's butt
0: you can see willow's butt you can <laughs> also see i'm wearing wearing my little tie-dye shirt um i'm wearing uh little lavender shorts Ooh. um
1: I've got my holiday sweater on, which is very Yule.
0: Very Yule with the skulls, um, which kind of, you know, let's get into it. Yule yeah. is metal as fuck. It um,
1: is. It is. I I think Yule is like, Samhain gets all the fucking attention and the glory, but like, Yule is
0: dope,
1: man. It just y- gets y- overshadowed
0: <laughs> by Christmas. Yule, uh, Yule is dope. And it does, it does kind of get overshadowed by Christmas, uh, which is a shame. Although I do think it's great uh, in the Scandinavian countries that they do keep some of the Yule stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm excited because this year it works to where we're not flying out to Texas until the 22nd. So we get to do Yule before we have to go home and do Christian Christmas with people.
0: And speaking of flying to Texas on the 22nd, uh, just a reminder for everyone that our monthly coven meeting for our Patreon members is actually going to be the night of the 23rd, yeah, Christmas uh, Eve, Christmas Eve, Eve. Uh, for those of you who are not initiated, um, so so yeah, we're going to be having a couple glasses of wine and and chilling with you guys, so please. Yeah. Make some time that night. It's going to be a good time. So we're talking about Yule. We're talking about Yule. And as you guys might remember from our Samhain and Mabon episodes, this cycle of Sabbaths. So we'd had our first one. Um, This is our second cycle of Sabbaths. That's so exciting. Uh, We're going to be focusing on the history of the Sabbaths, uh, which is going to come with some surprises like Mabon, uh, where it's like they kind of just. Made some shit up in the 70s. Yeah, but. they just like, we're like, that yeah, works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got an empty spot. <laughs> yeah. Mabon. but Yule,
1: I, I feel like Yule gets better with the history. So I'm really excited you're getting
0: into it. Uh, yeah, because we talked about it a little bit in the first Yule episode, which I did go back and listen to, but this is great. So Uh, I think it's going to come as no surprise to our diehard listeners that the very first Yule was celebrated in Mesopotamia by the Sumerians in the year 2800 BC.
1: Your favorite. Nick loves Mesopotamia. That
0: is uh, just a joke. Just a joke, you guys. But y'all have to drink anyway, because I did mention Mesopotamia. It still counts. I, I have made it my goal to mention Mesopotamia in every one of my segments, but uh, actually Yule does have a connection to another Near Eastern population with some ancient history of their own, uh, the Hebrews and specifically the Hebrew Passover celebration. So even though Viking ships were known to navigate in the Black Sea and the Red Sea, and as far away as Russia, uh, which did happen, they count that as part of the founding of Russia. Uh, I'm not going to speculate about how they might have come into contact with Jewish culture, because it frankly does seem far-fetched. But one comparison that is made time and time again in academic circles uh, is the connection between Yule and how they celebrated Passover at the temple in Jerusalem pre, you know, kind of like pre-Romans, but uh uh so it's all about the sacrifices and how they would perform them and how they really played into the ritual. So this co- this connection between Yule and Passover uh it is the use of sacrificial blood from the animals. So
1: um na, na, now
0: It's so metal, Uh, but but really it's the metal part, too, is that they would sacrifice the animals at an altar and they would save the blood and use it for different things. But then the other similarity between Passover as it was originally celebrated and Yule um, was that the animals that got sacrificed for their blood got cooked as part of the feast so you kind of get a bit of a two for one you get a a sacrificing holiday with lots of blood and and gore and and then you get a feasting holiday with all of the
1: honestly is there anything uh, like other than those two that you need for a holiday
0: right i mean you cover
1: all the bases i love it
0: yeah, yeah yeah we're we're it's a you know It's a great holiday. But so even though Old Testament God was certainly bloodthirsty, Old Passover really has nothing on the great Yules of the Old North. So Bede, an English historian, wrote about a fully fledged Yule celebration as early as the 5th century of the current era. Uh, So we can trace the roots of Yule back at least this far. And I think, you know, we talk about this a lot with the Celts. The thing is, a lot of people before this time were not writing down just a bunch of shit. Uh, And when they did write stuff down, you know, one of the ways that they would write things down in Scandinavia in pre-Christianization times was on tree bark, which is a highly biodegradable medium, uh, which is not great for people who want to know what the fuck the people were doing and what they believed in. Way back then. Yeah, um, it's
1: like, that would be kind of a tough sell for people who wanted to know what was happening a year ago. It's that
0: biodegradable,
1: (laughs) let alone hundreds of years.
0: Right. So, I mean, the fact that by the 5th century, we have a fully-fledged jewel, it indicates that it had been around much longer and probably had developed into what it was over centuries. Uh, Because that's, I mean, these are not people that live in the information age. They're not reading about the hot new Yule celebration on Instagram.
1: They're not listening to their favorite podcasters talking about
0: Yule. Right. Uh, But a a celebration this elaborate doesn't just appear out of nowhere. Uh, So I would say it probably goes back to B.C., I mean, if we're talking about like a fully fledged Yule in 500
1: AD. Yeah, it feels like it would have had to.
0: If we want to look at the truly ancient roots of Yule, we have to look at what the people would have been doing at this time of year. uh, And how those original essential life activities coalesced into the whole festival of Yule. Uh so that's kind of what I wanted to start with here. So traditionally, Yule is held around the winter solstice or midwinter. Uh, and for ancient Germanic tribes people, this would mean that they were in sort of a state of flux between the well and true end of harvest season. So this means your ale is made, your grains are milled, if that's something you fuck with. Uh You've got storage, you've got cats. Uh, Hopefully your cats are healthy and well. And now it's time to do two things, hunting and slaughtering. So one thing we do have to remember is that these ancient people really did not eat all that much meat. And it's not like vegan propaganda, but it's a quantifiable fact that feeding livestock to create meat is less efficient than simply feeding people like grains and vegetables and shit yeah
1: and it doesn't last long like salt preservation is like fine but like I mean you're gonna get a lot more mileage out of some beans
0: yeah so in a world where people regularly starve to death they're not they're not eating a lot of ham Down
1: (laughs) sorry I don't know why that got me they're not eating a lot of ham
0: And so, of course, I mentioned this only to highlight that slaughtering animals for food would have been seen as a special occasion in and of itself for the majority of people living at this time who, like, weren't kings or noblemen. Uh, Not to say that they didn't, which is why I mentioned hunting. Uh, So, one of the things that uh, I think a lot of people are missing out on in their you know, sort of idealized version of Yule and how it was in the past was that people farmed, but the they they weren't really ranching so much back then. So if you want to bring a hog to sacrifice at Yule, you have to go kill it yourself. Yeah. Or or ca- or capture it and then uh, do it at the altar, which it was seen as better. Uh, live sacrifices are always seen as better, fresher blood.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, the idea behind a sacrifice has to be, you're actually giving up something. So it's like finding roadkill. That's not really a sacrifice. Even if you're given the blood to the deity, it's like, you you gotta mean it.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, but so it would have been a time of year when people would have maybe had a little time to hunt, uh, And it's like not quite the dead of winter yet, so you're not probably going to die in a snowstorm if you go out to hunt. Um, But also, you know, it came to pass, right, that the slaughter, the shedding of blood not only represented the bounty of the land that we must be grateful for, but Spilling it back into the earth or offering the literal blood as a sacrifice to your local nature gods would have been regarded as a very energetic and holy thing. So let's take a look at Yule during its peak. So, like right before Christianization. So, we're talking like very sophisticated Yule celebrations. Like, this is the most Yule that Yule ever got to get before the Pope had something to say about it. So, Oh, that um, pesky Pope. That pesky holiday-ruining Pope. So to do this, we want to look at the stories surrounding the most famous Hof, or sacrificial temple, out there. And that one happens to be in Uppsala in Sweden. Uh, the Yule celebrations here were well-documented in their peak by Bremen, in the 11th century, in his travel journal, and by Snorri Sturluson. Snorri.
1: In his,
0: in his uh, epic Heimskringla.
1: He sounds like a Pokemon.
0: Mm, yeah, Snorri. Uh, it's, well, the German version of Snorlax is Relaxo,
1: which is my, like, that's my vibe. Relaxo.
0: Relaxo. Uh, But maybe the Norwegian version of Snorlax is Snorly. Snorly. Uh, Sorry. Sorry But no. So so, we got to talk about this, the hof. We got to talk about the sacrificial temple. Uh, So we have the building itself, which is like a a huge, small house. Oh, my God. Oh, sorry. We, We have wire problems.
1: Nick gesticulates a lot. And so some once in a while, when y'all hear the mic bumping, it's usually because Nick's just excited.
0: OK, so it's like a <clears throat> we have the building itself, which is like a huge long house. And there was said to be like a massive gold chain hung around the roof. And just to kind of dig in a little fur- further, think of how you hang your Christmas lights, you know, where you do the little arches all the way around. That's the vibe. Um, But with
1: a gold chain.
0: But with a massive gold chain. Like this thing could be seen from miles away. It's like shining in the winter sun.
1: Is this I'm like, I feel like there are
0: so many rappers that should do this to their house. Oh, my God. A chain for your house. Hell yeah. Bring it back. I mean, how hard do you have to be to keep someone from stealing the house chain? Yeah, I mean, you'd have to be someone who they don't want to fuck with. Truly, this is the next the next great thing in hip-hop. But we've got this huge chain. You can see it from miles away. And inside, you have three statues on three thrones, which I love the number three. Hi. Um, so you have one for Odin, one for Thor, and one for Freyr. And of course, down the center of the main hall, you have the long fire pit, which is the hallmark of the long house. It is why the house is long. Mm. It's for the fire pit. pit. (laughs) It's for the fire pit. You're Um, just
1: building a house around fire, which honestly is the Nick Paul dream.
0: Right. So the directions are pretty simple to celebrate Yule. Everyone in the area has to come to this mandatory week-long feast, and you have to bring casks of ale sacrifices for the blood feast and other contributions like grains and veggies, et cetera.
1: So you have to be a good house guest.
0: Yeah. You have to be a good house guest. And if you show men- up to my
1: house without any of those, I'm going to be mad.
0: Yeah. I mean, honestly uh, cheers with the ale. I, I did uh, get ale specifically because uh, you, you have to drink ale. Yeah. Speaking of having to do things, did we mention that it's mandatory for everyone in the area to come? Because that's pretty important uh it can still be good fun but it's uh not super cool if you don't come uh, attendance is obligatory yes so this is like the original team building exercise
1: oh my god so, how many trust falls happened in a blood pit
0: oh, oh well i mean that's that question may be lost to time
1: we call uh, that thursday here at wands and france i'm sorry yeah. I'm I've had I went to a holiday work party before this so I've I'm I haven't been drinking I'm just in a festive silly mood. We're
0: we're festive, we're silly. It's Yule. Uh so everyone shows up and you form a queue and you sacrifice your own animal at the altar making sure a good measure of the blood ends up in the bathtub. Oh yeah. There's a blood bathtub.
1: I like that this feels kind of like a reverse communion. So yeah. it's like instead of going and receiving an offering, you're just going and giving your sacrifice.
0: Mm, yeah. Nice. So, yeah, there's a blood tub. We don't need to ask any more questions, but we're going to get there.
1: That's how I keep my skin looking so young.
0: Excellent. But you really want to make sure you do get a good Bit of blood in in there for important reasons later on. Uh, so when you're done, you can like throw your chicken or your goat or your goose or your pig. They really like pigs, uh, because they're hard to get. I know. You see, it's special.
1: It's special, but they're also like
0: dogs. I, yeah. I but you you throw it in the pile, and then you go take your place around the fire, and so then the local chieftain king guy. You know, he's somewhere up there in the hierarchy, but whoever the the biggest knob is, basically, uh, he has to MC the feast and the after party, and now he's going to bathe in the blood tub.
1: Uh category is bloodbath.
0: Right, so very cool and not at all spooky-ooky. And so after King Kerry has had his bloodbath, now we get out the twig mops and brush the bases and thrones of the three statues with blood, too. Then Aww. we mop the floor with the blood. Then we fling the leftover blood all over the walls. And uh,
1: It's like, how does Salwyn get all the attention?
0: <laughs> and then all the men in attendance get together and we fling blood on them, too. And this is totally normal and probably doesn't smell terrible after feasting for a week in blood-soaked clothing. Um,
1: Well, that's why you should be drinking.
0: That's You would need to drink after that, wouldn't you? Um, But then, after all the blood stuff, it starts to take a more familiar form. So then the people... Presumably someone's catering, uh, but then the people get out the ale and the catering staff would make the tasty dishes from the pile of dead animals. Uh, did we mention that it is mandatory to drink? Because even if you were a child, you have to drink ale at the Yule celebration because oh my it's God. fun yes. for the whole family.
1: Because okay? it's the only way you're going to survive the trauma of watching all of the grown-ups in your life. Covered in blood i do like to envision that there's a caterer from like another village that doesn't practice yule and they're just (laughs) like oh my god what is happening here okay i guess we'll just use the chicken oh
0: weird (laughs) what is this (laughs) uh so it's but yeah it's it's fun for the whole family and uh, also this whole time the yule log would be burning now that is fun So this was a tree from the nearby forest, maybe just a trunk, maybe the whole tree. I think they would, they would know. I think you would know which tree is the Yule tree, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, speaking of my, my tree did just get delivered today. Finally, we finally got our black Christmas tree. I'll post pictures.
0: Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for posting pictures. We do love a black Christmas tree. Uh, So with the, with the Yule tree though, you would have just the the end burning and you would drag and and it'd be on one end of the fire pit so you drag it a little bit more in each day and let that burn out drag it a little bit more in the next day and the idea is that the whole party goes on until the beer runs out
1: so college
0: right um so the other important part of this festival was the oath-taking, and so for this part, the chieftain, who has hopefully at least toweled his face off, but maybe he's wandering around covered in blood, scaring the children, uh, he would broker business deals and witness official marriage proposals. And so Yule's status as a mandatory event did mean that this was really the best time to do it.
1: Well, yeah, uh, I mean, everybody's there.
0: Everybody has it's to like, be there. It's
1: like, take advantage. Also, I'm now very sad that my proposal included no blood.
0: No blood. There was no, there was no guy covered okay. in blood.
1: Nick, when you get proposed to, I'm glad that we have we have a chance to make this right.
0: We have a chance to make this right. So <laughs> if you would like to propose to me, you must do so in front of a... Scandinavian chieftain covered head to toe in blood the least um, you
1: can do to win the hand
0: to win my my, my sweet hand in marriage <laughs> <laughs> uh but no so it's a mandatory event though it's perfect for this kind of administrative work since everyone's got to be there uh sort of like Samhain For the Celts.
1: Yeah. I like that they're just doing admin work covered in blood, though. That's so fucking
0: metal. Yeah. You know, Uh, you know, it's like, oh, you're selling some pigs to your neighbor's farm. Well, I'm covered in blood and I have a giant gold ring. Cool. Yeah. I'm covered in blood. Deal. Yeah. So giant gold ring, you might be asking. The fuck? Uh, So if anyone has seen the behind the scenes specials from Lord of the Rings, uh, they did have a big ass giant ring. This is for the people on Patreon, but I'm like doing it around my face. Um, which was like for the close up shots of the ring, because they didn't have, I guess, good enough cameras to just zoom in on the ring that they were using. I don't know.
1: I mean, one ring. That's the one ring to find them,
0: yeah, that's the that's really. But then, you know, there's pictures of like Elijah Wood and them, and they're like holding it. and it looks like a just a big ass fucking ring. So I
1: like this. I like the rings, though, coming up with Yule because it just makes me want to
0: scream. Five golden rings. Five golden, golden rings. <laughs> uh, so, you know, imagine that if you're a Lord of the Rings nerd, but it's like he would wear it around his neck. And then when you made a deal with someone, you'd like put your hands, you'd like both put your hands on the ring and kind of grab it. And then I guess you would like nod his head and be like, yes. Yes. You sold those pigs.
1: How much more fun would that be if it was a bop it, though?
0: Right. Bop it. <laughs> Twist it.
1: Turn it. <laughs> oh,
0: you can't get married. You missed it. You're dumb. Um, <laughs> You're dumb. I'm sorry, guys. Okay. But no, so, so he wore the big-ass gold ring around his neck. They did find one of those, actually, in a chieftain's burial from, like, the 11th century. So we know the golden ring existed.
1: I just it, didn't realize how much into bling they were.
0: Yeah, well, the golden ring
1: plus much, the golden chain on the house. Yeah, like, the
0: golden chain on the temple for sure, but the golden ring was definitely too big to actually wear, even as a bracelet. That's what they give us an estimate of the size. So you do have to imagine it's quite a large golden ring. Yeah, that's huge. Um, and you put your hands on. You got it. It's big enough to grab with your hand, and you. So it's like the businessman's handshake, though. Like you put your hand on the ring.
1: I mean, I like that. I like that. If only we had been doing that, COVID maybe wouldn't have taken over. Maybe. Instead of shaking hands, that was what did it right. I'm just kidding, guys. Sorry.
0: So we've had our sacrificial bloodbath. We've had our meaty feast. We've made deals. We've drank barrels and barrels of ale. The Yule log is almost done burning. So what is left to do? Uh, Well, first of all, you do want to save a nub of the Yule Log to light next year's Yule Log with. Whichever lucky person gets chosen to hold on to this has the added benefit of being protected from lightning strikes by Thor for the coming year. So. Dope. Dope. Uh, and maybe that's something you could do at your own Yule. I mean, even if you're burning a much smaller Yule Log.
1: I Yeah, I love that idea of like keeping a piece of it for the next year. That's really awesome. Uh,
0: And if you're the chieftain, you should really hope that you've sacrificed enough for the harvest to be bountiful because at this very same hof or sacrificial temple whose Yule celebrations we have been describing, King Domald was sacrificed at his own Yule altar after three years of famine And maybe that is a tradition worth bringing back. Uh,
1: There are a lot of people up there in Washington, D.C., just saying, y'all.
0: And we can't forget to include the wacky Yule characters for the children. We don't want to get sued by the U.S. government. Right. Uh, (laughs) The Yule Goats and the Yule Boar So the Yule Goats were the chariot drivers on Thor's magic chariot. Yes, he used goats instead of horses. He's Thor. He can do what he wants. Uh, One of the goats gives you treats if you've been good, and one of them kicks you or bites you if you've been naughty.
1: Bring that back, too. I like not getting cold. I like the threat of corporal punishment Mm, to keep you in line.
0: And then we have the Yule boar, which is actually a giant cooked boar's head from the sacrificial pile of dead animal bodies uh and it is an honor to receive a serving. So it shows that you're in the upper class if you get served a little piece of the face or the tongue or the eye.
1: Um I mean, give me a cheek any day.
0: Oh, yeah, a little, a little jowl. Mm-hmm. Yum yum yum. I'll take that to go and make some beans. Thank you very much. So to all of you, Yule witches, happy Yule. Don't forget to wipe the blood off your face or else you'll scare the children.
1: Mm, happy Yule, y'all. I love that.
0: And uh, uh to, to all of so you, I, I am lifting my ale. It is an ale, so I'm doing it properly.
1: I'm I'm lifting a boxed water in place of ale. Okay, guys. Well, <clears throat> now we're gonna take a very sharp turn away from blood soaked festivals uh, into Star anise, which is like One of my very favorite spices.
0: Something nice to follow up all of the blood.
1: Yeah, you know, we want to just sweeten it up for you here. So first and foremost, like this has to happen right off the top if we're going to be talking about star anise. The flavor is similar, but star anise is not related to like anise seed. Um, they both have anatole, which is like the compound that is responsible for that anise flavor, that kind of licoricey flavor you get from it. But it's really important because I've seen a lot of like herbal monographs online for anise seed that include pictures of Star Anise. And like those are not the same plant. And it's just really important to know that star anise is like a lot more powerful than anise. So if you tried to use like, you know, if you try to use star anise, like anise in one of these recipes, you could end up with like some unwanted side effects because star anise is just so much more intense. Like there's a lot more of the oils and stuff in it. So just like beware. I was genuinely concerned by the number of like herbalism websites i saw with like lists for anise seed that had pictures of star anise
0: i was like that yeah, because i mean if you go into your your herb storage and you're reading about anise seed yeah but it's the picture of star anise
1: yeah you're gonna fuck some people up man you're
0: gonna fuck so- you're gonna fuck something up.
1: yeah so just be conscious consumers it was like I was just worried. I, when I was reading that, I was like, who do I tell who's the boss of the internet that I can go (laughs) tell that there's all of these mistakes, but be smart consumers onward. Star anise. Of course we know is excellent in mulled wine or apple cider. I also really like to add star anise to ginger tea. If you're making like a hot tea, like "Mm," gives a little like zing. And it's actually for those of you that don't know, star anise is one of the five spices that's included in the traditional Chinese five spice, which delicious. And some pretty famous liqueurs also have star anise infusions, Uh, some little things like absinthe, sambuca, um, patties. So, you know, it's kind of a big deal, but Chinese five spice, excellent in desserts gingerbread using Chinese five spice?
0: Yes. What? That sounds oh, okay. so good. Doesn't
1: it? I'm very smart. So you might be wondering though, where on earth does this come from? Because for me, I remember this was one of those things when I was growing up that I was like, there's this crunchy star thing. <laughs> oh well. But now as an adult, I'm like, it's important to know the source of these things. So these little guys come from the dried fruit of the Elysium verum tree. It's a medium evergreen tree native to Northeast Vietnam and Southwest China. And so the star anise has been used in China for like flavoring and medicine for more than 3000 years. So you also, so, so not long at all. Yeah, not long at all. But you'll find a lot of listings for star anise if you're looking at TCM stuff. So traditional Chinese medicine, the way they get it is like the seed pods are actually like harvested Um, before they ripen while they're still green and then they sun dry them which is what turns them to that like really pretty like super rich red brown that we're familiar with and there are um there's like a central axis and each of the carpels that come out from the star shape around this axis have a single seed and according to Chinese folklore finding a star anise with more than eight points is considered good luck. So keep an eye out, but most of them, it's
0: like a four leaf clover.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, um, most, most of the star anise has like eight carpels if you look at it, but yeah, each of them has a little seed. And sometimes when you get star anise, if you get it, like that's really fresh or sourced, like really well, you know, like not the dried shit on the shelf in the grocery store, you can see the seed in them too. You can kind of like shake it and hear the seed in each of the little star anise arms. So, um until 2012, this is really important, Roche Pharmaceuticals actually used about 90% of the world's annual star anise crop to produce uh, shikimic acid, which is a chemical used to make oseltamivir or Tamiflu. So, the price of star anise used to be really closely correlated with like the intensity of the flu pandemic in any given year. And so it it actually takes about a year in total to also like extract this acid. Like it's a very like kind of long process. So they've since switched to doing like a bacterial source. It actually, the way that they get this, um, this acid that they need now is they actually ferment um, E. coli. Which sounds really gross, but that's that's like the weird sciencey way they're getting it now. But they actually had to develop that production technique um, because there was a huge shortage of it during the swine flu pandemic in two thousand nine. There was a big shortage of Tamiflu, so um, what a much simpler pandemic time <laughs> the swine flu was, but more for the rest of us. So now it's like they have this like other way that they make this shikimic acid. So now the price of star anise actually isn't super tied to the flu pandemic uh, from year to year anymore. So more for the rest of us. Uh, The tree itself though, this like cute little evergreen tree gets to be between 25 and 50 feet tall with some as big as 75 feet tall. Um, For those of you on the metric, that's about 10 to 15 meters. And you can grow the trees in zones eight to 10 in the U S but it's actually kind of hard to find information on cultivating the tree because everything is like about the fruit. So I'm just not going to super get into how to cultivate star anise trees because, um, it's very hard to find, and it doesn't seem like they're sold in the U.S. very much anyway. So let's talk about the medicinal benefits of this like cute little star-shaped plant friend. Uh, I am not a doctor. Nick is not a doctor. I'm this not. Pod- <laughs> this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose or treat anything. If you have any questions about anything to do with your health, go talk to your doctor. <laughs> like your actual doctor, not me and Nick. So. In addition to being great in biryani, what else can start an do? And it turns out so much. So in Asia. She's
0: a star, baby. She is a, a star. star. <laughs>
1: um, in Asia, it's been historically used mostly as a digestive aid, which makes a lot of sense when you recall that it's one of those like five of the Chinese five spices so a lot of times in good spice blends, you'll find herbs that are traditionally good for digestion because it flavors your food, but also keeps your tummy from getting too upset. Um, so in TCM, it's actually used to move like blood and reduce cold stagnation as well. So if you are a follower of traditional Chinese medicine, that's where how it's used there. But the spice blend isn't like just tasty, right? Like it is very, very good for digestion And it has also been shown to have like antioxidant, antimicrobial and antifungal properties. So it's like pretty powerful. And it's also an expectorant, which makes it very handy for like coughs and colds and flus or, you know, even just like bronchitis. And when you get like that kind of like chest congestion, it really helps
0: with that. It's a bit of a smoker's hack.
1: It is. It really is. And it's it makes sense when you think about how the schimic acid in it is used for Tamiflu. Right. It helps with a lot of similar things. Um, and I do love to make a decoction of slippery elm bark and star anise when my allergic asthma is flaring up. Um, it's a really good combo. You just like put some star anise in with your slippery elm bark and you simmer it covered and then it gets really concentrated and powerful. And the star anise and the slippery elm with that kind of like licoricey taste between them is really good. It's like slimy and spicy and feels so good. Um, star anise though can also be a great ally for people that have Uterus. Um, It's great for reproductive health and it can also help increase the production of breast milk when breastfeeding, allegedly. I've never done those things, but you know, if you're a breastfeeding mama, maybe get yourself some like Chinese five spice and put it on stuff. It can also uh, be really helpful though for women that are entering menopause because it can help ease some of the symptoms. But if you were going to be using this, or really any herbs for your menopause treatment, you really want to talk to your doctor because hormones are not something to fucks around with lightly. Star anise is also used to freshen your breath. And in Ayurveda, they actually recommend chewing it with cardamom pods after you eat. To like help with your breath and your teeth health, which I think is kind of cool. And in an oil form, you can use it to treat rheumatic pain. But this is where I'm going on like a tiny little tangent and then I'm almost done. Uh, it contains linalool, which is a really cool terpene alcohol. And you can find it in over 200 flowers and plants. It's floral and spicy. And the concentration of linalool actually determines how hoppy a beer tastes. Because it's- yeah. It imparts that like floral fruitiness, but linalool, if you want to think of the smell, it's very concentrated in lavender, which will make sense shortly. So linalool does some amazing things. A few of my favorites, um, it can be used as a local anesthetic effects. Like the effects there are equal to procaine and menthol for local anesthetics. It's shown in studies to help reduce opioid uses. Incorporated nanoparticles of linalool are being explored as anti cancer agents. Linalool has established sedative, antidepressant, and immune potentiating effects. It also has analgesic and anticonvulsant effects. They've used linalool in laboratory tests on mice with things like epilepsy. Like I could go on, but now you understand how cool it is when we know that linalool shows up at the party and there is a pretty strong concentration of linalool and star anise. So it's just so fun.
0: May I just hop in? Of course. As most of you know, I work at a brewery uh, and uh, the brewery I work at specializes in hoppy beers for the most part. And actually I have noticed that almost no one ever gets sick even though you're regularly exposed to large parties of people and all sorts of things. Um, so I'm wondering if because we serve such hoppy flavored beers.
1: The linalool's keeping you safe.
0: The linalool.
1: I love it. So linalool is awesome. This was, my, this was one of my fun, nerdy science tangents that I was really excited I'm about.
0: Gonna, I'm going gonna uh, to ask Will about that. Actually, yeah. and see if he knows because I feel like I feel like he might.
1: I bet he does. But finally, you do have to keep this one in mind: if you have a cold or flu in the house and you don't have Tamiflu on hand, I feel like that's just kind of an obvi. One. So you can definitely make it in a tea. Just add like one to two teaspoons of seeds to a cup of boiling water if you're doing it with the starny seeds, because you can also use those and steep it for five to ten minutes. My favorite way though to do it is to make it into a decoction. So that's when you're like slow simmering the herbs covered to get it's really good for like roots and barks and things that need a little bit more aggressive uh processes than just steeping a tea. And star anise is awesome in decoctions because it also smells so good. And even if it's covered, it makes the entire kitchen smell wonderful. So anyway, this is a wonderful herb. I hope you guys will work with it medically. But we are also a podcast about witchcraft.
0: So No, 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 no. This is a good Christian podcast, Shannon. We can't.
1: So on to the magic, y'all. It's a masculine plant associated with the planet Jupiter, the air element and Sagittarius and Pisces. Although I do have to say I get really big like Sag vibes with this. But there's a lot of stuff about using it for psychic purposes, which I think is where the Pisces come in traditionally star anise is used for luck and enhancing psychic powers though like i mentioned the luck thing i think really ties back to its chinese
0: roots as well well i would also say like jupiter is the planet of luck and jupiter rules both pisces and sagittarius
1: yeah yeah I, i i think that this is a really interesting one so anyway um but I think the idea of it being for good luck it kind of just made me think about the idea of adding the star pod as a bead on homemade holiday garland. Mm. How cute would that be? And and it's also pretty. Star anise, like just like star anise, dried orange slices, and rosemary were my suggested trio if you wanted to make a witchy homemade garland. For the winter because that'll bring a lot of magic into your house and it's also going to smell good but you could also do a stovetop potpourri with those three or uh star yeah anise like and the rosemary. stovetop
0: potpourri i was literally wanting to say that like when my mom would do stovetop potpourri if we had a little star anise she'd throw one or two in there and it's yeah it's so good it's so good
1: so as for the psychic powers i think that it also makes sense Star anise when you think about the concentration of linalool in it which we've talked about because it has that kind of sedative effect that really chills you out and for me I find a lot of things that are like good for psychic powers excuse me for psychic powers tend to be things that are very relaxing for the body and I think it's because it like helps the rest of your mind like calm down, right? Like when you're totally chilled and relaxed, I feel like that's when your psychic powers are at their best because you don't have the like physical distractions, which is why I think bath magic is so bomb. So you can, if you want to use it for your psychic powers, you can burn star and use this incense, which I'm sure smells great. I've never done it. Be careful if they're fresh because things that have a lot of oil in them can be very sparky if you burn them as incense. You can also, I love this idea making a pendulum using star anise on the end of your string or your wire, whatever you use, and doing that for uh, divination, because I think that would also be nice because it would just smell really good. You can also store a few uh, pieces of star anise with your tarot cards to help increase their powers and like also show them a little love. Plus, it's antifungal, which I was like, that's... Probably great for tarot cards, too, because, you know, paper,
0: fungus paper, isn't... paper that gets touched a lot is yeah fungus. you yeah. Need a lot of food for things in the paper with your fingers, yeah.
1: so I was like the antifungal stuff can't hurt. For luck, you could even add some to your prosperity bowl. We've talked about those a few times. It, or even just your purse or your satchel that you carry to bring a little bit of like, money luck your way while you're out and about so that's that's that though that's star anise i love it i think it's smells so good and it's very medicinal and magical but my source is today wikipedia britannica JoyfulBelly joyfulbelly.com cannabinoid pharmacology by ethan b russo Yeah marku and advances in pharmacology uh ayurvedictalk.com lavendermoonapothecary.net we'll an and cunningham's encyclopedia of magic herbs so now that we've talked about star and East, let's talk about balder okay
0: what a tragic tale
1: so balder is the son of odin and Frigg, and beloved by everybody in asgard and beyond
0: relatable
1: I mean, I get it. It's said that Balder was so beautiful that light literally shone around him and that his friendliness, gentleness, and wisdom is literally the thing of legends, right?
0: God, I relate to this so much. Go on.
1: I feel like I'm describing Nick. <laughs> but the myths about Balder are tied to his death and the attempts to bring him back. So it's really, it is a tragic tale. So there's one night... Baldur has this awful nightmare that he was in danger and he was going to die. So he went to his parents and his mother did what moms do and went into like lioness. Patru- patru-
0: it's the tiger, the tiger. The tiger.
1: I was trying to say protectress, but yeah, she like went super hardcore. Right. And she demanded an oath from every creature person and object in the world that they would not harm her son. But she missed one or neglected because she thought it wasn't a big deal. Something she thought was so small and so insignificant that it just wouldn't matter if she didn't get an oath from it. Nothing's ever gone wrong with
0: those assumptions, right? No, 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 no. Like, you literally go, but I mean, it's funny. You go literally get an oath from everything. Every yeah. rock, every stream, the moon, the stars, every animal. But you're like, eh, we'll we'll leave one thing. It'll be okay.
1: Surely that won't come back to bite us.
0: So I'm tired. Do we really have to do the last one? I'm just,
1: I'm done. (laughs) So there was this fun game. Apparently that the gods played where they would shoot arrows at the invincible balder, which is like a very weird flex, but okay. And Loki, of course, as Loki is from time to time was jealous. So he disguised himself as a lady and wanted to like, go get in on the hot goss. And this is when he found out that Frigg didn't get a myth, an oath from everything. She didn't get an oath a mistletoe so loki being loki had an arrow made from this naughty little plant and gave it to his blind brother hodor and tricked him into shooting balder i feel like this is just such oldest child energy it's just like no here's the thing you go get in trouble and of course balder falls dead when he is shot with the mistletoe arrow and his body was like laid on the boat Ringhorn. And when his wife, Nana, saw him, she literally dropped
0: dead from grief. This is like... Well, I mean, you got to... You have to remember she married the most beautiful man in the universe.
1: I know. It's all downhill from there. <laughs> so the gods laid her next to Balder on the funeral ship and Odin placed the magical ring, dropped near on Baldur's funeral pyre so it would accompany him to the underworld so of course like when a god who is adored by the gods dies they're not going to just let this go right so uh Hermod one of Baldur's brothers borrowed sleep near Odin's scary horse, which
0: we've which we've talked about she's spooky
1: Yeah. And, uh, he made the eight day and night journey down the world tree until he reached the dark, damp roots that are the underworld. So once he was there, he asked, which, uh,
0: just, just to throw out there, um, if you were traveling in a downward velocity for six days, or was it six days and nights, eight days and night. No, no, no. This is from the, um,
1: Oh, from Mount Olympus. From Mount
0: Olympus. That's about 600 miles. So yeah. if we add uh, another two days on there, like that's, that's about like eight, 800, 800 miles. miles. Almost a thousand mile high tree. Yeah. Go on. So,
1: so once he gets down here, he asks Hel, the goddess who ruled the underworld, to return Baldur to the land of the living. Pretty, pretty, please. Uh, Baldur. It should be noted, by the way, was seated next to Hel in a position of power. So, like, pretty cool, right?
0: Pretty so, cool of her.
1: You know. So his brother is down here, and he's like, "Oh, he's the best person in the universe. We all love him. Everything is so sad now that Baldur's gone." So Hells like, okay, here's the deal. I'll let him return to Asgard as long as every being in nature weeps for him. And everyone did, almost. The giantess Toc sat in her cave and refused to shed a single tear. Of course, uh, a lot of people generally assume that Talk was Loki in disguise but it should also be noted that in some versions of the story talk is described as a witch so rude uh that spelled very like,
0: rude fuck you
1: right not nice so that spelled the end of the quest right like this this giantess and or witch probably loki in a dress <laughs> refused to cry and so hells like not that's the end of it so Baldur was doomed to remain there in hell <laughs> with hell <laughs> uh the main literary source for this though i think that's interesting is the prose at of the medieval icelandic scholar snorri Sturl
0: snorri Sturlson.
1: twice Who knew? So this is the most complete account we have of the primary tale, right? But we do have another source, and this one is the medieval Danish historian Saxo Grammaticus.
0: What a cool fucking name.
1: I'm like, where did the Grammaticus surname go? Because bring (laughs) it back.
0: Virgos everywhere are crying out.
1: Bring back Grammaticus. So this version of the story is very historicized. But one of the things that really stands out in Grammaticus's version is how stoked Balder was to get into battle all the time. This one, this version of the story actually really depicts Balder as sort of a warlord. And there are actually a lot of kennings that link Balder's name with weapons and wars. So it makes sense that he was most likely seen as much more of like an active and intense character than this passive and docile version of Balder that we get in most of the depictions.
0: Well, so- it's, it's it's not that he's passive. It's that he's protected. And I think, I think that's, that's where a lot of the confusion comes in is that Balder himself is kind of a bastard. Like he's, he plays along he's like, yeah, shoot arrows at me. It'll be a fun game. Uh, which I think it's all you really need to know right there. Where he's like, "Yeah, fucking shoot arrows at me. This will be fun." Uh, he's protected, which is different.
1: But yeah, th- he's in this other story. He's really seen as a very like intense warlord, which I think just paints a bit of a different. I think it changes the story in an interesting way when you actually, you know, make Baldur warlord very intense person. But still beloved, regardless. So you want to work with Balder. Cause really that's like that's what there is to Balder, guys. Balder died and they tried to get him back and it didn't work.
0: And he was so pretty. His yeah. girlfriend died when he died.
1: Yeah. And it should be noted that um after his role in this, Loki was tied up and tortured until Ragnarok.
0: So which is <laughs> the reason why is because of Balder.
1: Yeah. So it's Baldur's a very, very tragic, tragic tale. But you want to work with him, right? Magically. I think that there's a lot of interesting things to do here with Balder, right? He is kind and benevolent in one of the stories, which is a great energy to call upon. I feel like I'm constantly calling upon that energy at the year end as a fundraiser. Just please let me be kind. Let me be kind. But we can also appeal to his war loving nature if needed as well. And I like the idea of this duality too, because I think that makes him a really great deity to work with because there's a lot to his character. He kind of seems like he'd be a great patron deity for someone if they were in search of one. So I think that all around, though, he's going to serve you well, because you can either call on that like really intensive side or the kind and sweet side. So the colors you can incorporate onto your altar to honor him would be things like yellow, gold, shining white. Valerian and Mayweed are both commonly called Baldur's eyebrows. So I feel like those would be great offerings. I would not use mistletoe or even have it in your home if you're wanting to work with Baldur. Just my two cents there. And finally, if you want to honor him, you can never go wrong with libations guys. So my store, my sources today, historiska.se, norse-mythology.org and occult-world.com. So before we get into this very end here, we wanted to plug a couple of things for the Patreon. Mm. So tomorrow, Patreon folks, um, which is not tomorrow your time, but tomorrow from when we're recording this, I am going to be doing an interview with Josh, who is the host and creator of Crimes and Witch Demeanors, which I'm very excited about. And we are so looking forward to meeting you all again on the 23rd, pencil that in, but if you want to get in touch with us beforehand to make any requests about things that we're gonna do, like if y'all want to have a signature cocktail, reach out to us. I'm like, we should make this coven thing a party.
0: Oh my God. It's sh- it absolutely should be a party.
1: Like, are we all gonna wear coordinating outfits? We could.
0: We could. We, we could. could.
1: So you should definitely let's talk think-
0: about it. Let's talk about it.
1: You should definitely think about joining our Patreon because you get access to things like the coven meeting, but also you get video recordings so you can see mine and Nick's beautiful faces, appearances by our pets often. You can get monthly tarot scopes from Nick. You could get grimoire download pages, like herbal grimoire pages from me. So to do that, you just go to patreon.com slash Pod. That's so easy.
0: I know. And that's the same as our email, Pod at gmail.com.
1: And our Instagram, which is at and Uh Also, wow. <laughs> the last note here before we go into the tarot scope is I am, again, offering a workshop in January called The Witch's Garden, and members of our Patreon will all receive an additional 30-minute one-on-one with me after the workshop. So, other good reason to get in on the Patreon, y'all. So much I, content. I mean
0: i would do it but i'm more i i hope i co-host the podcast so
1: yeah but if 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 we could we would join yeah i would join so we're here at the bitter end y'all and today
0: it's not so bitter is it
1: no it's very bloody we're here at the very bloody end (laughs) and i have a message for gemini during your sister season no less so this one goes out to you gemini i have drawn the ace of water which is represented by plantain, which I love. So Ace of Water in traditional decks would correlate to the Ace of Cups. And so my darling Gemini is as a reminder, when I am reading cards, I see all of the Aces as invitations. So this is something that you're being invited to partake in. This isn't necessarily a predictor or an indicator as much as it is an invitation to step into this is how I tend to read the aces you're not there but the universe is inviting you and the ace of water is all about you being a vessel for like love so you're really open you have this capacity to step into like an openness to receiving love and to receiving creative energy from the universe it's this really the ace of cups I think in general is probably one of the most beautiful cards, because it really is about this, this spark of divine love within you that can turn into things like great creativity, doing new inspired projects, even revisiting your witchcraft with a new sort of spark in you. But I was really excited to get this card for y'all too, as we're going into 2022, because that card of the year is the lovers, which Having something like the Ace of Cups, which is this invitation to step into this, basically being a conduit for love and passion in the universe as we head into a year represented by the lovers, to me feels like such a good omen for the coming year. So open yourselves up, Geminis, keep it open to the universe. I know it's getting cold and it's the dark time of the year, but that doesn't mean you can't revel in the darkness.
0: Hmm. Very okay. interesting. Very, it... very interesting.
1: Yeah. I like, I really like the aces, but I, in particular, I think the ace of water or the ace of cups is like, it's a really lovely card.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good news.
1: It's good news. It's very good news. Especially <laughs> I feel like coming into the lovers year.
0: It's a, it's a good thing. As Martha would say.
1: It's a good thing. So <laughs> yeah, I think that brings us to the end. Nick, is there anything else?
0: Well, I guess to all of you blood covered Yule bitches, I say wipe your face off, bitches.
1: (laughs) To all of you bloody, bloody bitches.
0: Blessed be bitches. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye now. I love Stevie Nicks. I love roller derby.